you have a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, I hope you do. If you don't, we'll have the words on the screen for you. You can pull them up on your device or wherever you'd like to. But if you have a copy, turn with me to the book of Ephesians, a book that we'll be turning to throughout the summer as we try to study this book and see what we can learn from it. As you are turning there, I'll share with you a moment when I remember my mom being a mom, right? Being that soft, kind, tender, comforting mom. I was in seventh grade, and uh, it was my dream. I had practiced hard all summer out in the driveway, probably driving my family and the neighbors absolutely nuts um, to practice basketball. And I was pack, passing the ball behind the back and all kinds of stuff, bouncing it off the retaining wall, and, and man, just everything you could do. I was practicing so that when it came time as a seventh grader, a new junior high student at a new school, I would try out and make the basketball team. Now, I had only played one year of organized basketball before this point. I lived in an area that was pretty talent-rich as far as basketball. But listen, I tend to overestimate what I'm capable of. And so I thought, man, I'm going to try out. I'm going to make it. It's not going to be a problem. People tell me that I'm kind of good, that it comes naturally to me. It's going to be good. It's going to be a thing. And, and I started to think about all the benefits that would flow into my life because I'm a dreamer. And so I, I started thinking through, well, listen, I'm going to get to hang out with the basketball team, the basketball players. That means I'll be a cool kid, right, because they're cool. Like, at least in my eyes, I thought they were everything. So I'll get to be around them all the time. That'll be neat. Right, I'll get a uniform. Uniforms are always cool unless they're old and boring, but ours weren't, right? So I'm going to get to wear a basketball uniform that says Botfield Junior High with a bingo in the middle going, like, I'm just pumped, right? Get a uniform, right? More than anything in my mind was this probably, if I'm being honest. Cheerleaders cheer at the game so they'll know who I am. <laughs> Might get to bump shoulders with a cheerleader or two. In my mind, I'm thinking I'm starting my budding NBA career right here, seventh grade. I'll never forget as I remember tryouts came and they were three consecutive days, ended up on a Friday afternoon. And I'll, I'll never forget during tryouts even, I had a couple guys that I wasn't even close with, weren't friends with that were like, hey man, I think you're, you're going to make it like you're doing good. And I was pumped. I was excited. But man, being at home all weekend, right? Being at home all weekend and just having to wait, it, it was still at this point in my 41-year-old life, maybe one of the greatest moments of anticipation I've ever experienced. And it wasn't always so fun. It's that feeling of, I'm waking up and tomorrow's Christmas, but it was like a whole weekend of that with no school to take your mind off of things, and I'm waiting to find out, did I make the team? You know, it turned into later, I'll maybe share with you in a few minutes, it turned into later an opportunity for my mom to comfort and console me. <laughs> but that moment, that weekend, I remember, just drove me absolutely slap nuts. Like, I could not wait to get to school. And even when we got to school, if I remember correctly, I ran into the gym, and he didn't have the team posted yet, and so we had to wait until the end of the day where he posted the team. Man, it was just so hard waiting to find out if I was one of the ones that had been picked. <laughs> I mean, it, it really was driving pretty much my whole life for quite a while to be one of the ones that would be picked. And that may sound like too big of a statement, or that may sound over-dramatized, except that you've lived it in your life. You know the impact of wanting to be one of the ones to be picked. You remember elementary school where the girls, for some reason, thought it was a good idea to make that list of top ten boys in the class? Anybody remember that? You were like, that's so, that's dumb. Why do they do that? And then in your head you were like, I got to be on that list. Right? 
Then the boys would come in and just in response make a list because they're all, well, they're making a list, so we're going to make a list. And if I don't get on the list, she's not on my list because she's the ringleader and I'm the ringleader. Right? It's like the list, we got to be there. Maybe like me, you were waiting to be picked for a sports team or you were standing on the fence waiting to be picked for kickball because you wanted to get to play. Maybe you were waiting to be picked to find out were you going to get to be part of the, the academic association at your school. Some of you had that experience. I don't know personally what that's all about, right? But I bet that's tough, right? Hey, I tried really hard and I've pushed hard and I'm hoping that they accept me or tap me in or whatever, however that stuff works, right? Like I wanted to be a part of that. Maybe it was college for some of us, and, and man, I w- I'm hoping to be picked to be part of that Greek organization or, or that social club, right? It can literally drive the direction of our lives when we're one of the ones who are picked. It can change the trajectory and direction, and, and things go so differently sometimes just based on whether we are or are not one of the ones who are picked. I hope that today we're going to see that more powerfully than you've ever seen it anywhere else in your life. As we look at the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, we'll probably only get to about six verses today. As we're studying Ephesians in this this series that shows us and tells us that if you indeed are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have been picked to be remade by King Jesus. He hasn't just slapped a coat of paint on you and gone, hey, here's they're still not much better than they used to be, but I tried to do a little something with them, right? A little lipstick on a pig over here, right? He hasn't just, just, just built you up a little bit, put some pretty on you and said, oh, that'll do. He hasn't just kind of reworked your wiring a smidge. What we're going to see in the book of Ephesians is that God has completely re-identified those who are his followers. He has transformed us internally by his grace. In a work that theologians for a big word called regeneration, it just means a one-time event where God, by his grace, brought new life to our souls that changed us and transformed us. He has given us new titles and new realities in this moment, in this instant. And what you'll see in this book of Ephesians is a guy named Paul who had gone around to all these different cities. He used to be one that would persecute the people of Jesus. If they were believers in Jesus, he would go and try to have them killed and be part of any opposition he could bring to them. And yet, Jesus met him radically, if you remember the story, through a blast of light and a voice. And man, his life was altered and changed because Jesus in that moment had picked him as an apostle, as a messenger. And so Paul would go out and tell people the gospel of Jesus and how Jesus was the perfect son of God who had lived righteously for those who couldn't and who had died to pay the debt that we couldn't, just like we sang a moment ago. Now he had risen from the dead to bring new life. Paul was out going everywhere he could go to tell people about this. And we read in the book of Acts that one of the places that he stopped by for a moment was a city called Ephesus. And he told them, he committed and promised and said, if the Lord wills, I'm going to come back. And then we see in Acts 18, 19, 20, right, that Paul makes his way back to Ephesus. And he stays there, I believe, for the longest he stayed in one place we have record of. Around three years he's in Ephesus and daily he's teaching And you see there's a lot of opposition there, both from people in the town, but also spiritually there's some wild stuff going around. You you should read Acts 16 through 18. It's fun. There's a story there about three Jewish sorcerers who decide that they're going to use Jesus' name even though they don't love Jesus. And they try to cast out a demon, and a demon whips all seven of them. I heard a guy say, a pastor say very aptly, he said, listen, this is how you know you lose a fight. If you go into the fight wearing pants and you leave naked because that demon just ripped you up, you lost. All right? Right? That's what happened there. And people were seeing this, and they were amazed at this, and it scared them that when somebody tried to misuse Jesus' name, that this is what happened. And so they started to develop this all for Jesus. 
And a lot of those people went and they decided it's time to repent. It's time for what I've seen of God to change how I think, what I value, and what I do. And so they started to bring all of their dark magic and black occult books and bring them and burn them, robbing, no doubt, those who were producing those things of their income. Started to do that. They stopped hanging out at the temple of this other god. Right? They were this big city, Ephesus. They worshiped uh, over 200 different gods, so they had no problem with the idea of religion, no problem with the idea of you worshiping gods. And even oftentimes they would worship through cult prostitution. And a lot of these people, it says they were doing that, and they came, and they renounced their ways, and they became followers of Jesus. And Paul reached a point we see in Acts where he was going to leave the church in Ephesus and move on. Since he went to a place called Miletus, and he called to the Ephesian elders, the pastors of the church, and he said, come to me, I have something that I want to tell you. He wanted to encourage them before he left. And when he left, the main thrust of his statement to them was this. He said, I want you to watch after your own life and the lives of those you're responsible for, because there will be wolves coming to tell you lies, to pull you away from believing solely in this Jesus and all that he has done, to make you think that there's something you're going to do that's going to make it work for you with God when Jesus has already done it all. He said, beware of that. Be careful. Be alert. Be ready to defend. We're reading this book of Ephesians, which Paul wrote about two years later, and he's writing to the Ephesian church because exactly what he said was going to happen has happened. People have come along, and they've been able to easily sway the minds of the Ephesian church. And so Paul is writing to set them back on course, to remind them of the truth of the gospel. But here's what's super interesting about the book of Ephesians to me. I love this, that when Paul writes to redirect the ship of the church, to put them in the right direction, he doesn't start with a list of rules. He doesn't start with a code of conduct. He doesn't start with do this and don't do this. The whole first half of the book of Ephesians is not about this is what you do. The whole first half is this is who God has made you. This is who he has made you. And then in the second half of the book we're going to get into, that half of the book is this is how you live the way that God has made you. This is how you flesh out what he's already done in you. We are all being sanctified. We're all a work in progress. It's not perfect, but we're learning how to live who Jesus made us to be. The second half of the book tells you that, but the first half of the book just says, listen, this is what Jesus has done as he has remade you. I believe it's because there's this principle that when we focus on our identity, our behavior will flow from that focus. When we rightly remember who we are, then our behavior will flow in the direction of who we are. It's what we're seeing as we jump into the book of Ephesians Ephesians chapter 1, like I said, I don't know how many verses we'll get to today, but maybe six. We'll see. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So even in the greeting of the letter in these first two verses, you're seeing this principle play out that who I've been defined as by God is the statement that drives my life. As you see, Paul, the one who was the persecutor and the enemy of the church, doing violent things towards people who had faith in Jesus, what does he say when he starts the letter? He doesn't say Paul, the persecutor of the church, and he also doesn't say Paul, the ruler of the church, the most important person in the church, Paul, the person who will write two-thirds of the New Testament. He's not boasting in himself and gloating in himself. 
He's also not rooting his identity in who he was before Jesus. He says, here's what happened. I met Jesus. He commissioned me and told me I was a messenger and that I was to go and tell. And so when I tell you who I am, I'm an apostle. I am who Jesus says that I am. There may have been days where Paul walked up and didn't feel very apostolish. <laughs> I'm just guessing. You ever have days that you wake up and don't feel like going to do whatever your job is? <laughs> Maybe you've trained and been educated and, and you know how to do it all, but there's days you wake up and you're like, I just don't know anymore. Right? I'm sure he had those days, but you know what? He banked on who God said he was. He was an apostle. And it's not just Paul. Paul says, I'm writing to who in Ephesus? As the church would have been gathered around to hear the reading of this letter, he says, I'm writing to you, and I want you to know who you are. You are saints. We won't belabor a bunch of time on this because we did it just a few weeks back in Philippians. You can go check that out online. But it is a beautiful thing. That this church of people in Ephesus, who have been straying, by the way, recently, that's why he's writing the letter, who've been getting it wrong a lot more lately, that's why he's writing the letter to try to correct and help. When he writes the letter to them, these are people who just within the last two years were participating with cult prostitutes and were doing black, evil magic, weird spiritual stuff. And yet when Paul writes to them, he says, you guys are saints of who Jesus says you are because of what he has done to earn the right to define you. You're saints. He says to you, grace, meaning God at work to do what we can't do, showing his ill-deserved favor for us. He says, I want you to have that experience. I want you to know about that and think about that and have your life permeated by the grace of God. Grace to you and peace. Peace, biblically, shalom just means to have completeness, lacking nothing that ultimately matters. He says, have peace, have this rich contentment, vibrant contentment and joy in you because you have everything. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all just the intro. <laughs> That's all just the part where you would write like, what's up, man, comma, and then you would start saying stuff. Paul got all that just in that little snippet. Then he says this, verse 3, getting to the meat of some of it a little bit. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now hear this. Paul is saying, hey, listen, God is to be blessed. This word blessed in the original root language, the root word is the same from which we get the word eulogy. You don't know what a eulogy is? If you hadn't used that word lately, like you were standing at the grocery store and said, pass me the eulogy. All right, right. A, a, a eulogy is just a short statement offered at a memorial service or at a funeral. A eulogy is that part at the beginning where somebody stands and they recount all the, the redeeming characteristics of that person's life and all the things we want to remember and, and have smiles brought to our face, all that they accomplished. That's the eulogy. You're stating these positive things about this person purposefully. And, and the point here is this, as God's people, he says, listen, I want you to bless God. I want you to say positive things that affirm who God is, that agree with who God says he is. Say those things about God to God. Bless God, but here's why. Bless God, why? He tells us in the verse, after the comma, who has blessed us. We bless God. We say positive affirming things about God because God has declared things about us. He has said things about us that can't be changed no matter how bad you feel in your lowest day or, or what that person says to you that's so heartbreaking and penetrates so deeply. They can't change the identity that Christ has declared over you. Because that is true. He says, I want you to, to bless God. 
because he tells us, listen, this, this blessing that you have, it's, it's not just words only. He says he's blessed you with what in verse 3? He's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Nobody got fired up about that and went, woo! Nobody got pumped when I said that, right? Let's hear that again. You don't have to yell out for real, but listen. He's blessed us in, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? That means that anything that could be positive to us, anything that could be a benefit to us, that could be stated and declared over our lives spiritually, he has already said, you got it, it's yours. Now today's Mother's Day and you showed up and you know typically church is probably going to do a little thing different here and there because there's a holiday going on. What if I today, we're not by the way, so don't get excited, but what if I today said, hey listen, we just decided to be generous like Jesus is generous and so under every single seat today to take home with you, there is an envelope containing $10,000. I said, y'all made more noise when I said that than you did spiritual blessing. Now, if you thought I was being serious about it, even if I said that just seriously, you probably wouldn't get loud at first because you wouldn't believe it, right? But if I said it and you actually believed it, if there was any hint of you thinking it, you'd get excited about that, I bet, right? I bet that just between the time I said that just a second ago and now, you would have already reached under your seat and pulled out your envelope. I bet you may not even hear what pastor's saying anymore because you're counting all them 10,000 bills, right? I'm not trying to call anybody out of here, so I won't say names, but I bet some of y'all would be finding a reason that that chair is just not helping your back, so you got to swap chairs, right? You need a new chair, right? Why is it? Because when tangible benefit is introduced to our lives, we get excited. We go, wait a minute, you mean it's free to me and you're just going to give me something that can help? Yes, I want it. Yes, I'll take it. You're not going to use yours? I'll use it. <laughs> you don't want your envelope? Send it my way. You're swapping your envelope with the chair next to you. Take the money out. I don't know. Your envelope's empty. I don't know what happened, right? You would do everything you could to get it. And yet here's God saying through Paul, I have blessed you with every single spiritual benefit that you could possibly need and use and want. It is yours. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? I think if we did, I think if I did, it would shape the way that I lived when I woke up. It's important that we not miss where these blessings reside for us, though. Did you see it? He said he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, but where? He's blessed us in Christ. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. We've talked about it multiple times because the Bible talks about it a ton. Listen, these things that we're about to read today, these blessings that we're going to hear in the next few weeks about this new remade identity that God has brought about in us, they only apply to those of us who are in Christ. Not those who want to be kind of close to him or loosely associated with him or call on him when we're in trouble, but people who truly find their life flowing from his life. I am in Christ. I am proud of it. I am far from perfect, but I am striving. The pattern of my life is towards him and not away from him. This is what it means to be in Christ. And when we're in Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, I believe, and in trying to understand and interpret Scripture, that verse 4 is where he really starts to unpack, not exhaustively, not every spiritual blessing, but he starts to unpack and kind of lay a, a spiritual blessing here and there on the table before us and tell us about it. So let's see what he says. Read verse 4 again. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So we were just told 
we were picked. If you're a follower of Jesus, you were picked. You were chosen. And, and I don't know what your background is and how far you've pushed into some topics scripturally and how far you haven't. Just make sure we hear this. That, that there's, it's not lost on me that even just this idea of being chosen, there can be some weird tension going on in our minds and our spiritual souls right now. We'd be going, ah. Listen, people have been arguing about specifically, directly what it means to be chosen. Really rich followers of Jesus have been arguing about it back and forth for hundreds, if not thousands of years. I'm not sure we're supposed to fully get that completely, intricately ironed out. What I do know is that what God's word says is true is true. And I do know that if he says it, it's there for a reason, and it's going to have import for me. It's going to do something for me in my life. And here's what God's word just said. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been chosen. The word's there. You've been picked. Did you see when you were picked? So that we wouldn't be prideful about it, so that we wouldn't go, well, God saw what I was doing over there the other day, and he went, yeah, I'll pick him. You were picked when? Before the foundations of the world. It's Mother's Day today. It's gonna be, I'm just going to tell one on myself, okay? So love pastor after this is done. I had, I had big intentions. I really did. Intentions that my wife probably would not believe, okay? And I'm going to not say them out loud because I might do it again next year, right? Maybe. Had big intentions, but let me tell you where intentions turned into reality was after I picked my daughter up from an event last night at 10 o'clock, I was going straight to Walmart to get some Mother's Day stuff. <laughs> night before, 10.30 at night, 30 minutes before they close, I'm in the store figuring it out. My wife already knows. She's not let down. She knows me, and she loves me as I am, okay? It is Mother's Day today, and, and some of us are sitting in the room. Man, I hope you're not the guy right now who's like, man, you did better than I did because I forgot till you said it, right? But anyway. Get something. Grab something out in the foyer and just be like, hey, I got you this, right? Whatever you need to do, just let us know. If you take like a sign or some furniture, I'm sure we can work it out. Just let us know, all right? But, but listen, mom's in the room. Wives in the room on Mother's Day. What if you had picked up on a hint six weeks ago? What if that scratch sheet of paper that had a note written on it, you accidentally saw the corner of it, and it may not have told you everything, but it told you enough, and you, your will starts spinning. You went, he's, he's doing that for me for Mother's Day. Whatever that is, right? That thing you wanted, that thing that would surprise you, the thing that you would never even ask for because you know we're not spending that money. That's not in the budget. But you're saying, hey, I think he's doing that thing. What if you had been thought about that long ago? Would it be awesome to wake up this morning and have somebody present something to you that's just this work that took time and effort? Would you feel loved and valued? Would you know that there were probably some times in that last six weeks or that last six months where you maybe didn't present yourself completely ideally? Or maybe you weren't quite the sweet princess that you are almost 99% of the time. You just missed it for a few minutes. But he didn't hold back. He didn't take away. He didn't reserve. Because he had been planning it far in advance. He had set his love on you long ago. And he had said, I'm doing this for you. Would that not mean a whole, whole lot to you? Sorry, husbands. Next year together, okay? Listen. Jesus picked you before the foundation of time. <laughs> it's not about you. It's not what you've done. It's not how great you're going to respond to this message. It's not how well you're going to talk about him out in the community today, though we hope you do. It's not how diligent you're going to be in your Bible study. It's not how vehemently you're going to turn away from sin. None of that stuff is why you were picked. You were picked before there was a you because you were picked before there was a time. You were picked before the foundation of the world by the one who had set his heart upon you named Jesus.
theology that makes God look bigger and me look smaller is the kind of theology that swells our hearts up when we drown. Because guess what? I can't behave badly enough to lose what I never secured for myself to begin with. He chose me because his love is strong. And he said, you're mine. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been You've been chosen. A lot of questions we can talk about later if you need to. I get it. I've been there. I've driven myself to anxiety working through it all. Okay? Let's get coffee this week, and I'll, I'll try to bring you into the anxious thoughts. Okay? But the Bible says you're chosen by God in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, why were we chosen, verse 4? That we should be what? Holy and blameless before him. I'll just remind you, we won't even spend time here, remind you that he's talking to people who had just walked out of rampant, continual lifestyles of rebellious, heinous sin in worship to another God. He's saying he chose you, that you would be holy, that you would be blameless, that even though he knows your record, he doesn't speak about your record, he speaks about who he says you are, and it's holy and blameless. Follower of Jesus, if you're in this room today, I know that practically your life is not blameless, but your identity is spotless because King Jesus says so. doesn't mean you live in some kind of weird denial where you never acknowledge the fact that you have sin in your life or that you fail. Of course you do, but it means that you take confidence humble confidence and encouragement in who Jesus says you are and you seek with all your best to say, God, help me to align my life to live with who you've made me to be holy and blameless. Man, holy and blameless, that sounds a lot different than who I am apart from Jesus. Goes on to say, we'll read a couple more verses. It says, in love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Just side note, sort of. This verse 3 through verse 14 that we're looking at this week and next week, in the original language in Greek when it was originally written, it's just one big long sentence. I believe it's the longest sentence in the Bible maybe in Greek. In that one sentence, there are ten different references, if you go count them, to in Christ, in him, or in the beloved. I think it matters whether or not we are those who reside in Jesus. Here's what he just said to us. That those of us who are in him, it's because we were predestined. The word is there. We can talk about it later. I'm not even going to jump into all that. It really means the same thing we've already said, that God decided and picked for the foundation of the world. He set his affections on you. But, but for what? To be adopted. Right? He set us up and positioned us for adoption into his family. I have a niece who's adopted. Her name's Grayson, and she's, she's helped me see the gospel clearly just by her being a part of our family. She's so cool, and I love her, and, and she tells me on multiple occasions that I'm her favorite uncle. I think, I think if I'm right, she only has two, so it's not, there's a lot of competition. Right? But, but still... His name happens to be Jason, so I'm like, I'm the best Jason, right? You know? She tells me I'm her favorite, and I love hanging out with her. I love being here. But here's, I remember when, when she was brought into the family. It was a big ordeal. The, the parents had been working for months, working for months to bring this child and their family to, to find out who the child was and to meet the child. And they finally had been paired up with a mother that was not going to be able to keep her child. And, 
Remember, they, they made the trip across state lines, a few different states and hundreds of miles, and they went and they met this baby and they had to stay there for a long time to make sure that all the legal parameters were met. And then eventually they got to come home and they brought this baby home. And when they got her home, they didn't say, now we have a new pet. They didn't say, now we have a new hobby. They beamed with big smiles on their social media posts and said, look at our daughter. You see, they never got to speak with her and say, hey, do you want to be our daughter or not? Because you know what she would have said? She would have said, because that's all she said. She was an infant. (laughs) They were already working and putting forth the effort and had the plan. And they said, you're going to be mine and part of my family. And God is saying to us in his word, guess what? The enemy would love to whisper to you and tell you that your sin is your biggest identity, that your rebellion is the truest you. And that's not the case because the father has adopted you into his family. And he didn't bring you there to make you a second-rate citizen who gets to sit in the back and you get to use a closet as a bedroom and just hope it works for you. You're part of a family. Doesn't son of God, doesn't daughter of the king, don't those sound like much better realities than the realities that we so often function out of and live our life out of? Failure. Lonely because nobody would want to be near me. Incapable. Whatever it may be for you, doesn't child of the king in Christ sound so much better? This is why he says, because this adoption has taken place, because you are a part of the family. This is why you're to be one who can praise with your whole heart, not just in song on Sunday, but with your whole life, all day, every day. You can praise with your whole heart his glorious grace. If you're here today and you're not sure if you're in Christ, you are not the enemy. this, if you're here today and you're not sure that you're in Christ, you're in a safe place amongst people who love you and who used to be right where you are. Don't leave this place knowing that you have an opportunity to be a child of God and pass that up and do nothing with that. Come find me when we're done today. I'd love to talk with you. Mark on that card close to you if you need to and say, I'd like to speak with the pastor. Lord willing, we'll get with you this week. But I don't care who your family is or how long you've been part of DBC or whatever else. None of that other. I'm asking you, are you in Jesus? Do you truly know God through relationship of faith in Jesus? Because if so, you're not just a follower of Jesus. You've been adopted to the family. You're called holy and blameless. You were picked to have your life remade in the identity and image of Jesus followers of Jesus, and where do we today just need to surrender to those realities? As we bow in just a moment, where do we just need to go, hey God, here's the deal. Help me to believe that. That song we sing a lot, I just need to say it to God in prayer today maybe. Give me faith. Give me faith to trust what you say. God, give me the strength and the faith to walk it out as I wake up tomorrow and the next day and the next. Where is it that we need to to look at God and be honest and go, God, I've not aligned my life to match who you've called me. Maybe we need to leave some stuff at his feet today and walk away from it in repentance. 
how do we need to respond to their following of Jesus? Let's pray. God, I continue to ask that you would do your work in our hearts. That even if we don't see it and don't know it, that even right now you would be stirring in souls to realize that they could know you. God, and for those of us that do know you, you'd be stirring in our souls to, to lift us up, to, to blow fresh air into our lungs as we realize who you say that we are. God, may it be true of us that our God-given identity would drive our behavior to God-honoring praise and worship. God, may it be true that our God-given identity would draw us running back to you when we failed to give you God-honoring praise and worship. Because we know that you're a father and you're calling us home. Who welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poorest. We love you, God. We long to love you more than we do. We ask that you would bring that about in us. Help us to be a church, sincerely, that helps each other take those next steps with you. God, we love you, we praise you. We ask you these things through your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Listen, we get to end our service today in one of my favorite ways ever. All right, we get to end our service today through the act of baptism. So I'm going to take a drink of water. We're going to let our kids come in because we want to let them get to see what this looks like and see that this is a part of